Romans 12. As we begin a new chapter. We just finished chapter 11 last week. But to be honest with you, there's probably no reason to have a real break here. The numbers we know are not uh, inspired. Uh, it helps us to have uh, chapters and verses. Aren't you glad we have those? <laughs> But it goes right into this next text that we're in. And so let's all uh, take God's holy word and let's stand in honor of Him and His word as we read it. May He bless this time. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there's nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man It will be forgiven him, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is precious. It is something to be handled very carefully. We need Your Word. We need it desperately. We know that You are the one who wrote this as You used Luke to pen it down. Your Word is inspired. We want to honor You today as we read it And as we try to understand by the power of your Holy Spirit what your meaning is in this text, Lord, I fear you in that I would bring forth this text and something that would be wrong or something that would be not saying what you mean. I know that I need your power and your strength. We all need this for your understanding that You have given us, that You will give us. And so, Lord, we thank You for this time. May we truly see You for who You are and what You have for us as You speak right here in this text. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. 
Well, we uh, enter a, a new chapter in our study of, uh, of Luke here. We just kind of keep trogging along in this uh, book, this gospel. I will tell you that sometimes and very often when Jesus speaks, there are hard sayings. This is the text today that we have some very hard sayings. Matter of fact, sometimes they're pretty hard to interpret. But I think Jesus definitely wants us to consider the painful consequences that we face throughout our Christian journey. And it concerns adversity, trials and tribulations and persecution. And we know that one day there will be a day of judgment and of course I must address the fact that our judgment for our sins and for salvation was done at the cross that was a one time act but there is the aspect of living in this life here and now Jesus gives warnings and he gives warnings here to disciples people who are believers some are just checking out what Jesus is saying but it's a warning that few people today I believe would really want to hear Uh, And you may be sitting there not wanting to hear what these warnings are, but I will say that we sing songs about the Almighty God, and He has the authority to pronounce warnings to us. And so we have to receive it as such. So I'm warning you that if this sounds very harsh, then good, I've done the job. If it's not harsh then I haven't done my job because that's exactly what Jesus was doing here. And so I've got to try to put that forth, but even if I don't get it across, God's Spirit sure can. Believe me, it's not me or my voice that's really going to make the impact, but it's His Word, isn't it? So uh, every word here is so precious. Jesus had been speaking with the Pharisees in uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11, uh, he gave him the woes. <laughs> Woe is me? <laughs> well, according to the Pharisees, they should have been saying that because Jesus was saying, Woe to you, Pharisees, the lawyers, scribes, all the religious elite, I guess you could say. Jesus is not mincing words here at all. Um, so, as he has a confrontation, he's already had that. And we know that he actually was bringing forth some things that he knew that was going to make him mad, and he just made him more mad. He pronounced all this, and it was primarily because of the hypocrisy. And after he leaves that Pharisee's house, where he had been invited to speak, he uh, or to actually come to lunch, or uh, at that time to eat there. After he leaves there, we pick up this flow right on into chapter 12. It's all part of the same package. What are the circumstances that we're talking about? We read verse 1, under these circumstances... What is circumstance? Well, previous verses, we see that the Pharisees began to be hostile and to question Him closely and they're plotting against Him. They want to catch Him. It's something that He says. 
That's what it says right at the end of 11. Now that's our context. That's where we've been. And it's about the hostility that the Pharisees have that just keeps mounting. Oh, they want Him so much. They want to kill Him. He's denounced the Jewish leaders. So we read on here, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. That's interesting. Now, this is not the first time that we've seen throughout Luke where there are large crowds, right? I mean, it is the standard thing. I think the crowds have just grown immensely. Well, we're talking thousands. We're talking multiple thousands, tens of thousands. We know he fed the 5,000 and whatever that was with kids and, and such, 15, 20,000, 25, who knows. But we're talking to actually to probably could um, fill a stadium. Modern day stadium that we can think of. I don't know. You know, it doesn't say. It just says thousands. The word there for thousands is myriads. And of course, we have a little girl that has a name very close to that that really comes up. Myrius means the same thing. And so, what we have here is that a lot of the crowds are really getting excited. When Jesus is around, because when the Pharisees are there, it gets quite controversial. People like to go to debates. People like to go to where there is something that's controversial. You know, you see it on TV all the time. You know, you'll turn on the news and they're always trying to stir up a controversy. Jesus just speaks the word of truth, gives the gospel, and Controversy starts. You know what the gospel does? It creates controversy. Because it goes against the grain of mankind. And matter of fact, it goes against the grain of religion in the way that Judaism had been and all other religions that are different than the grace of God. So it's Jesus versus the Pharisees and lawyers and on and on. People have witnessed that. And I think... A lot of them know that he has been in this house. That he's invited by the Pharisee to eat lunch, and word gets around. Hey, what are you guys doing around around the house there? What's going on? Jesus is is in there. Oh, really? And you know they could be outside the the steps. I don't know if they had steps there, but just outside, you know. And it's gathering more and more. And maybe, you know, uh, it's where he's going to go at. We don't know. But I got a feeling there were people just following him everywhere. And that's, you know, uh, he was so exciting to a lot of people. So here we have it. Um, People excited. uh, You know, I think as we read here, it says they were stepping on one another. You know, sometimes you hear about these concerts where they're so packed there that people have actually stepped on people and actually have killed people where they have they trampled them to death. Well, that's kind of the thing that's happening here. Oh, man. If we could just have that problem where crowds are gathering on Sunday mornings right here to, to hear the Word of Christ, to hear the Gospel, you know, we would have to have safeguards, wouldn't we? That people wouldn't be trampling on each other. We'd have to build all sorts of safe, safeguards. and Well... 
I will tell you this for sure. Nobody has ever been trampled to hear me speak. <laughs> there hasn't been that going on. Uh, I don't ever, ever hear that of really a, at any church, you know. But uh, and neither would we want that. But we would like to have people crowding in to hear the word of God. Wouldn't we like that? It makes me wonder what are people doing. Now you know it's funny. Last week was Resurrection Day. And we had the most amount of people that we had in there. And it's not about numbers, I know that. But wasn't it interesting that people come on Resurrection Day and then the next week it's like, where are they at? Now, granted, there are some people that come here all the time, you know. But that's the way it is with, with all churches. It, it's kind of kind of a interesting thing to think about. Uh, but Jesus here has a, a motive and it's to teach the disciples. Now, I want to tell you, we're in the last few months of Jesus' ministry before the crucifixion. It's, it's getting close to that time. He's got a lot of teaching to these disciples. When we first think of the apostles, and it definitely includes them, they're disciples, they're mathetas, they're, they are learners. There are other people out there that are learning that trusted really in Christ. They've repented of their sins. And of course, John the Baptist had set up many of them for that message of the kingdom of God. There are also disciples who would not be believers. They'd be, I guess what you could say, we use the word seekers today. You know, maybe They're examining what Jesus is saying and they're following Him around, so they're, they're learners also. But maybe there hasn't been a change in the heart. Maybe there will be. Maybe there won't. We know in John 6, there were many disciples who left Him after He gave them a hard saying. What He said after feeding the 5,000. You remember the feeding of that? And then the next day, a bunch of people want to be fed again and they're there, you know. And they think, this is going to be wonderful. This is great. And Jesus starts teaching on what the bread of life is about. He is the bread of life. You must eat of me. He's not talking about cannibalism. But he's saying, you have to partake of me. I'm the one. And whenever they got this message, and that God is sovereign, many of them left. And those were disciples. Now, that wasn't the twelve. But it was other people. And so a lot of those have been cut out because they saw what He was really telling them what a true follower really is. And a lot of people leave when they hear that kind of message. So a lot of them are thinning out. At the same time, the crowd is growing stronger. And He says... He begins saying to His disciples, first of all, as people are getting trampled. I hope somebody is kind of taking care of I hope he has ushers there. You know. <laughs> the apostles, I don't know what they're doing there. Here he says, first of all, and he starts talking to the disciples. He's got a crowd around him. Come on, Jesus, this is your opportunity. And he's you know, to the, the to the very disciples, the learners, and these people are addressed, and he gives a warning. Why? Why does he give a warning? Because they're in danger of being caught in the middle of a storm. The storm is the fact of what's going to be happening 
in the next, even right now, up into the next few weeks. You've got the religious elite, and you can imagine, they're trying to turn the people against Christ. They're around everywhere He goes, right? They're trying to turn people against Him. I'm sure that's happening. And of course, they hear the debates, and they're thinking, I've been following this Jesus, but the Pharisees, I mean, they're our leaders, and they respected the Pharisees. Sadducees and the lawyers and the scribes, right? All those guys. They really respected those. You know, they were the educated and they gave them all the wisdom. Jesus keeps hitting right at the heart of what their problem was the, the religious elite. So, he's got to tell them, okay, I've just been dealing with these men, they're hypocrites. And I'm giving you a warning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, he's just made a statement. This is nothing new. But if you haven't heard this before, or you heard it, you go, whoa. These are the people I've always followed. Jesus is saying that they're hypocrites. They're full of hypocrisy. They have leaven. He's saying... I'm warning you. You need to know. Don't be following what they are telling you. So that's what he's going to address them about. They're going to be hearing accusations against Jesus and they're going to realize the traps that are set by the Pharisees. The temptation for them would be great to just back down. You know, okay, I believe what Jesus is saying, but yeah, the religious elite that are trying to get him, and I don't want to be caught in the middle of this. So I've got to be careful what I say. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to listen. Sometimes that's best. But there are times when the gospel has to be proclaimed. You're going to have that kind of temptation. It's a trap of hypocrisy. They're going to be tempted to be hypocritical. Matter of fact, maybe they are feeling the other way. They're following Christ and they're starting to feel, you know, feeling their oats. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I don't know why I said that. I don't even have it in my notes. I've always heard that, feeling their you, you know what I mean by that, right? I hope you do. I don't, but at any rate, um, <clears throat> give me a time to get some water down my throat because it's really having a hard time getting it out. You guys can't ever tell that, can you? Okay, very good. You're coming. Okay, they're tempted to be hypocritical here. Jesus says, I'm warning you. And by the way, I want to prepare you. It doesn't say that here, but it's coming up. I want to prepare you for persecution is coming. Because if you take my side, you follow me, what it really means is that there are going to be people that are will want to destroy you. And we'll see that in the next few verses. You're going to be tempted to back off of that. I don't want you to be hypocritical. I don't want you to be religious like they are. Like in the way that they clean their cups on the outside. But it's an inside matter. It's what what's inside that counts. They don't have that. They have the outward looks though. They look good. So what's the problem? Well, it's the leaven 
of the Pharisees. Now I understand that leaven is a little bit of yeast that you put in like uh, in, in, what, what is the bread, right? To make it rise. So now when, when you have that rising, you have an influence of that leaven. Now most of the time in the Bible that leaven is a bad connotation, kind of negative. But it can be good. It's talking about having an influence, the, the leaven in that sense. I'm glad that we have that kind of rising of bread. I like bread that is, you know, thick, you know, and those the, the thick and chewy pizzas. You know, a little bit of rising there, that flat stuff, you know, it's just it's missing something. But the influence can be good. But in this case, it's definitely bad. And that's what they're understanding here. Now, this is not the only time he's ever used this. He's used it quite frequently. The leaven, the Pharisees, the hypocrisy. And, and so it's something that can have power over to make something rise, to influence. When yeast is applied to that dough, it's very pervasive. And it just fills it up. Fills it up. That's what they were. They were filled up with this. When hypocrisy enters into a life, it's like a camel who pokes his nose into the tent. And uh, you know what happens with that, don't you? Before you know it, he occupies the whole tent to such a degree that the owner has to get out of the tent camel is taken over as such as it is with this hypocrisy. If you allow it in your life, you won't be able to contain it. It's very dangerous. It spreads. It spreads like wildfire. It can fill your soul. It can destroy your very character. In the last chapter in 1139, how many weeks has it been since we were there? But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup. That's what you do. End of the platter. You clean it really good. But inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. They're the cup. They clean the outside body. But inside they're full of wickedness, deceit, robbery. Calls them foolish ones. That's what he's been saying. Like I say, we as Christians, we are not Jesus and we have to be careful of our words that we use. Jesus can say these things because He is the perfect one. We have to make sure that our words are seasoned with grace, right? And yet, get to the truth. Both of those go together. Of course, that's loving and truth, isn't it? So, uh, He says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now we've gotten to what the leaven is. It's hypocrisy. Hupokrites, this Greek word, and of course it transfers later to the Greek theater of actors and they put on the mask. We talked about this last time that we were dealing with hypocrisy, right? Uh, it's referring to a mask and, and it's leading to pe- people to believe that you're somebody different than who you really are. Of course, in the in the acting, they would even hold these masks up with a stick, right? So they'd be playing a different character. And they were known as a hupokrite, or a, an actor. They're acting out something they're not. 
And that's what Jesus uses here, this term. And that would be understood very easily. They were focusing on the outward part and not on the heart, the inside. One of the charges that we probably often hear against the church is that the church is full of hypocrites. That's why I don't go. We've heard that all of our lives probably. Or ever since you become a Christian, you've heard that. Oh no, I'm not going there. They're full of hypocrites. And you know what? There's a certain element of truth to that, isn't there? Yeah? Yeah? Uh, I think a good response would be that we can always use one more. (laughs) Yeah, there are hypocrites. Matter of fact, if you go up to Schulte's up there and you go to the grocery store, you don't want to come to church because of that, but it's kind of funny. You go and get gas or you go into Schulte's, a grocery store, or other, other places, business, and go to McDonald's to get food or whatever, there are hypocrites in there. They're all hypocrites. So why do they go there, but then they say, well, I can't go to church because of that. By the way, it's not about the people anyway, is it? It's about who God is. And, and so therefore, we can, we can say, yeah, I understand that. Uh, but truly, uh, Christianity is absolutely diametrically opposed to hypocrisy. What it really means, Christianity really strips away the mask. It shows you who you are. When you were first hit with the Gospel, when you realized what it was, what did you do? Well, you recognized your sin. Matter of fact, it made you want to repent, which is a gift from God. It's given from Him, but yet that's what we have to preach. What was it that Jesus said or John the Baptist said? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's a matter of sin, recognizing that, being convicted, confessing that sin, which means homologeo, to agree with God that you are a sinner. And you see some sins that you know that are absolutely wrong and you say, I'm overwhelmed. What must I do? And so we repent. We trust in Christ. We give ourselves away. We agree with God that we deserve death and hell. We deserve to be judged, don't we? Now that is where the masks start coming off. Because He has just revealed to us that we are not righteous. He is, there's nothing in me that's any good at all. Now, what I just said, in most churches, they would have me out the next day. Probably that afternoon. But that levels us down to the ground. We're nothing without Christ. You are a guilty sinner. That's what's in our message when we give the Gospel. Because what's the good news if they don't hear the bad news? You just add Jesus to your life. Add Jesus to your sin. Keep on doing what you're doing. It's okay. Jesus just takes us on in. No, that's not it at all, is it? It's not even close. You see what Christianity or the Gospel does? It strips us of hypocrisy. Matter of fact, all through our lives, the Holy Spirit keeps 
convicting us of sin, doesn't He? Aren't you glad that He doesn't convict us of all of our sins all at one time? I will tell you, I wouldn't be able to live, and you neither, if everything was dumped on you and you saw what it all meant at that same time. It would be overwhelming. Of course, that's what Jesus died for. You know, the problem arises after one becomes a Christian. Let's come into the church. They get around all these nice looking Christians, and you guys are really nice looking. <laughs> and it's that moment we start facing the temptation of the leaven of the Pharisees. Why is that? Well, it's at that time we're tempted to pretend that we're not quite so bad any longer. <laughs> we're better people now. Well, in a sense, that is true. We are new creatures, right? Thank the Lord. Amen. But there's still a lot of sin there. But all of a sudden, we want to kind of look really perfect. kind of. We're tempted to conform on the outside, say all the right things, and just let it stay there and don't go any further. That's kind of the idea that's even that we ba- we battle hypocrisy of our own selves, really. And this is why we're getting a warning here by Jesus. There's a danger for Christians. It's a warning about living a deceitful life. <clears throat> you're one thing on the outside, but on the inside, you're somebody different. That's a hypocrite, isn't it? Putting a mask on. So Jesus is going to show them the consequences. That there's nothing covered that will not be revealed. Okay. Galatians 2.13 And that's where we're heading to in Luke 12.2 But we're going to turn to Galatians 2.13 for a moment. Okay. Actually, let's pick it up at verse 11. You know, Peter, he's an apostle. Remember Peter in the first few uh, chapters of Acts? How powerful of a preacher he was. Preaching the Word, the Gospel, the Resurrection. Peter's still a man. Peter kind of went back to himself just a little bit here. Because what we're going to see is hypocrisy. Verse 11, But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Who's I? This is Paul. He wrote Galatians. Because he stood condemned. What? Not for salvation, but condemned in what he was doing. What in the world was he doing? For prior to the coming of certain men from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles. He was taught that as far as the food is concerned, those laws that the, that the Jews had are now, you're freed from that kind of uh, ceremonial law and the food law. So he'd eat with the Gentiles as well it should be. But when they came, the visiting Jewish believers, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof 
fearing the party of the circumcision. These are people who say they're believers, but they're really big into back into Judaism, especially that circumcision. If you're not circumcised, and Gentiles are not circumcised, then you can't eat with them. So he said, yeah, I better not be seen with them. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. Do you get that? Peter is doing it, and they all follow him to do the same sin. With the result that even Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, remember them? Boy, you know, the power that they had when they took the gospel out. What a pair they were. They was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Boy, Paul, God, we could go on with that, but you get the idea, right? Wow, that was pretty tough. Things were uncovered and they were revealed. Hypocrisy of Peter and Barnabas and the others that were with Peter. They were really seeking to conceal parts of the gospel. They were concealing their discipleship to please man and all the pressure that came from these Judaizers. Circumcision. It cannot be concealed. The truth cannot. Try to conceal the gospel. It's trying to hide the sun. Can't do that. It's futile. So we've done part one in our passage. And I know you're wondering, we've gotten to verse two now. How are we going to get this in under three hours? It's just... <laughs> We're going to try. I know I took a big chunk here. Most guys cut this in half. Go through first seven. But here we go. All of life is under the watchful eye of God. And I think the least of, of the saints that would be a very young Christian or a very uh, little child knows that we're under the watchful eye of God. I think even people that never really heard the gospel and the way it presented would say something about, you know, especially when they're little. They like to think that God is over them, you know. How do they think things like that? Well, it's kind of put in them. Romans 1 talks about that, doesn't it? They all know that there's a Creator God. That He's really real. Well, all truth is going to be made manifest at judgment. Everything is going to be revealed before God. Secrets of people's hearts will be revealed. Now, that's that's a loadful. Like I told you, Jesus said some hard sayings. This is hard. Verse 2, but there's nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. 
What you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Any attempt to hide ourselves from the world to maintain some kind of facade of righteousness that is not genuine at some time will be exposed. We can have truth and never say anything about it. We have our own righteousness there. But eventually, what we are in the heart is what will be exposed. You think of Adam and Eve and the sin that happened there. Then Adam and Eve, what's the first thing they do after that? They go running and hiding, trying to get away from God. They sense their shame as they are naked and now they don't want God to know about what they've done. And so we get that story and of course as a result of that all sin comes from Adam and Eve. Romans 5 talks about the first Adam Thank the Lord for the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Jesus says here, be careful. Be careful. This leaven can eat you up. Secondly, all attempts to conceal it are going to fail. Futile. What's currently covered right now will be revealed. Every idle word that we say will be judged. Everything we have ever said, everything that we've ever done, somehow will be made manifest. I don't know how that's going to come about. I do know it's in Scripture. And I'm not trying to say things about making you think that you can lose salvation because that cannot happen if you're truly His. only thing is that we can show the character that's not been built up by Christ and our own selves are being shown in that way. We know as Christians that in Romans 8 it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so I boldly proclaim that. I say that all the time, every week. I'm not saying something here that's contradicting this even though it sure seems like this. This is a hard saying. And say, and we can wipe it off and just say, well, that's for the unbeliever. But he's speaking to the disciples here, right? Who can be believers, definitely. Well, Charles Hodge said this. Charles Hodge is back in the 1800s, Princeton Seminary. This is good theology, and he wrote a book systematic theology. He said this, we will be judged on our real character and our acts. However secret and covered in the sight of men these acts might have been, the character of every man will be revealed. It is in front of God, in front of angels, and in front of ourselves, so that ourselves will not be deceived We see ourselves as we really are. Thank the Lord that I don't see in the deep recesses what I am. Because I can't handle it. He's so gracious. 
He slowly convicts us of one sin at a time. We need to allow and actually know that there's futility in our sin. We will not be taking sin into the kingdom of God. And even though we're converted, we've been changed, we are being changed. We've been saved, we are sanctified, we will be glorified. And that's when sin no longer exists in my thinking and in my actions ever again. Praise the Lord, we are forgiven even right now. So don't forget that. But we're going into something that is very brutal to us when we realize that there will be a judgment, judgment seat of Christ, of course, the things that we've done in the right motives and for the glory of Christ will go right on into the kingdom. But things that are not for Christ and for His glory will be stripped away. Aren't you glad of that? Amen. That's what He's going to do in that judgment. It's not about our sins and being forgiven at that point because that's already happened. It was done at the cross. We know the significance of the cross and the resurrection. But He's so gracious in showing us. And you know what? This may seem very oppressive. This kind of passage that we're dealing with. And you'd rather move on. Seems rather oppressive. This, you know, we sing about grace. Forgiveness of sins. Dennis, that's all over with. Still, this kind of judgment... It's actually liberating. It's the good part. It's, it, it will free us entirely. Perfect justice will be delivered. Perfect justice. We don't know a perfect justice here. We see people that commit murder and justice is given to them and you know the, the, then they go to prison. and Then we see where there's supposed to be justice, somebody who didn't murder and they're sentenced to prison and of course there are a lot of people who have gone to prison and served 15-20 years and they come to find out that it wasn't them that did it we say where's the justice and then we know about the corruption in the system we know about that I'm glad we still have it but I know where there is sin, at sin there also is sin in even the most just men They don't know all things. But I want you to know the judge, the true judge, is going to take everything that we're hiding and get it out and get it away from us. Our desire, even right now, even right now, should be search me and know me. Show me my wicked ways. You know everything about me, Lord. We know that as Christians, don't we? He knows everything. Cleanse me from my hidden faults so I can flee from it. Lord, just open it up. Show me that. Please help me get rid of this. And it's up to me to be obedient to that. But it's by the power of the Spirit that we can only do it. It's by His grace. We can't do it on our own. Try it. Well, you probably have tried many things and it's never worked very good. Try quitting things or tried starting things. If you do it on your own, uh, you do really good for the first few days, weeks. And all of a sudden, 
They're not doing so good. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter first, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before for the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. All that bad stuff. It's going to put it forth before us. It's going to be true repentance. Tears will be rolling down. And then He's going to wipe the tears away. Remember, there will be no tears. He will give praise then to us in the sense of job well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want to hear? That's what we want. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 24 and 25. 1 Timothy 5. Twenty-four and twenty-five. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident. Those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. So it will all come out, won't it? As Jesus says here in our Luke. 12 passage. Now we go to number 3 and this is fear God and fear not man. Verse 4 through 7. We pick it up now. Pick up the pace. All principle has been set forth. I say to you and he calls them my friends. Isn't that good? Did you know if you're a believer you are a friend of God? Abraham was called a friend of God. James says that. Friend. He's a friend of us. My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, I have no more than uh, that they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I will tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Fear God, not man. Did you know that they're being warned that there's going to be persecution? Yeah, as disciples, as believers... There are many out in the world who do not like you, what you believe. So, he's saying to them some things that's actually going to happen to them. If you look at the apostles, they all were persecuted. They were martyred. They died for the Gospel. And he's telling them, Hey, even if they kill you, what's the worst can happen? You go to be with the Lord. They can't send you to hell. Pretty easy. Any attempt to hide ourselves 
really, it, there's no use to do that. Let's, let's give who we are and, and what has been done to us in our change of our lives. So, you know, human beings' power is limited. They can only kill you. We should not fear rejection or even martyrdom. Boy, he's really going out on, on a limb here, isn't he? Jesus is getting a little bit, a little bit too far out. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Fear of persecution would be by their Jewish brethren. The normal pagan will fear man, and ultimately, the most of all, he will fear death. Hebrews 2.15 mentions that. That is natural. They will say, I'm ready to go, and they don't believe in Christ. Honestly, they're not ready to go. They can say it all they want, but they're not. Jesus takes this fear here and He diffuses it. And He says, you disciples, I want you to fear God. Now, you don't hear that much today either, do you? To fear God. Go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? This is Paul. We'd say, well, you don't fear any, you don't fear men. No, you fear God. Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He wasn't afraid of death. He went out and he did what he was supposed to do. And God kept him alive until the time was to take him. God has an appointed time, doesn't he? As He knows the hairs on our head. He knows exactly when you were going to be born. Matter of fact, He caused it. When did He do that? Before the foundation of the world. How about when you were going to die? He already had that planned out before the foundation of the world. You were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. There's nothing that happens that is accident to God. That's how much in control he is. You know what? He's giving great comfort here, really, is what he's saying. And then he starts mentioning the sparrows, how God takes care of them. It sounds like he's really going out and saying some bold, radical things. What is radical? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. What does the Word of God say? That's really what we're here about, isn't it? Is that what we are here for? We need this word, folks. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, hypocrisy, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. And then he says, hey, you know, we didn't come with flattering speech. We gave you truth. You know, all the niceties that come with that. No, we didn't come with that or for greed, trying to make money. God is witness. And we're not even seeking our own glory. Boy, he had the right motive, didn't he? Um... God knows what we're thinking on the inside. Already knows what we're going to think. We're going to be thinking tomorrow. He's going to, he knows what we're going to be thinking ten years from now if we're still around. 
Psalm 139. And even if we're not around, he'll know what we're thinking. It'll be all good. That's even better, isn't it? Psalm 139. Everybody knows this. It's God's omnipresence, His omniscience. I'll start off with a few verses. Uh, Oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, You know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain to it. Wow, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Isn't that great? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And he says, if I send to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. And then he goes on and on. He keeps speaking about the same kind of things. Um... Verse 17, I really like, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! His thoughts towards us. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Oh, verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them before we were here. He ordained. When we would come in, did we come in by our own free will? When he when we die, do we go by our own free will? All through life dealing with salvation and such things. There are things that we make choices. I'm not taking that away. But to know God and to know salvation in our tiny little brains, we would never think of being saved. We would never even think about that there is. We are sinful. And that's what the grace of God does. It exposes what's there and roots it out and makes us whole. David says this, and he says in verse 23, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Boy, that's a prayer, isn't it? Wow, God is in total control. You have to like that. Well, God has the power also to throw men into hell. As we get back to our Luke 12, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more than they can. They can't send you anywhere else but to Christ in the presence of God. But I will warn you to whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed, you'll notice the word H-E, capital H-E, he kills people. God does, or He takes their life, however calm you want to say it, but there, Jesus says He's killed them. He has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. We're talking about, uh, um, of course, they, they fear physical death, but He's really talking about here spiritual death. A spiritual death is spending eternity in hell. Uh, hell where the flames burn. It's a real place that God sends people. And that does away with the people today that don't want to talk about hell in churches. He won't hear it from the pulpits much, will you? Man can only take away physical 
life. But God is the one who has power to send people even to hell. He's the one that has power. Fear of man, that's hypocrisy. God calls for us to be bold. To be bold. To fear Him. The word fear here, it's... It's awe and reverence, but it's more. What is it? It means to fear. We should be in awe and reverence, and that is part of that. But there is the sense here, we need to tremble before a holy and just God. He is real. He's not overlooking any sin. We are before the majesty of a holy, awesome God. Do you fear Him? Do you know what He can do? He can take people and send them to hell. He takes people and brings them into the kingdom of God. That's a powerful God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's appropriate to have a proper fear of God. Not, oh, I'm scared of Him. I don't know what He's going to do. We're not talking that. But we're talking this healthy fear. And it's a fear that doesn't drive us away. It's a fear that makes us close to Him. By the way, when he uses the word hell there, it's the word Gehenna. There was a valley of Hinnom around Jerusalem there, and it was a deep ravine on the southwest side of Jerusalem, and it served as the city garbage heap, and it burned 24-7, 365 days, or 360 days a year in, in the Hebrew thought. It was a place to sacrifice babies as time went on to pagan gods. Find that in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. It, so it's a picture of divine judgment in the future. It says do not fear though. Fear God in the right fear. We're not reduced to insignificance, are we? And so he uses sparrows for two cents and that's the least amount of money that you can make. It's what uh, it's minimum wage for a half hour of work. And it's really they didn't really cost that much at all. And so he cares for the sparrows and he knows the hairs on your head and uh, he knows what's taking place. Number four is confessing and not denying Christ. And we're getting near the end here. I don't want to rush it too hard, but here we go. I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess Him also for the angels of God. But he who denies me before man will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that we are to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. It goes from saying 
to actually believing. It's both. We are to be vocal in what we believe. If we deny Christ, we will show that we do not have the character of Christ. Now, can you hit and miss on that? Well, Peter, we know, did that. He denied the Lord three times, right? And yeah, we can have times when we are chickens and we don't mention the Lord when we know we should. And we get kind of guilty about that, ashamed of it. I have to admit, it's really easy to do. He's warning them against that. Don't become silent. Do it whenever you get the opportunity and the Lord is leading you in this. Trusting in Christ at that time was really unpopular. And if you did it with your family, you were cast outside the house, outside the family. You lose your job. But you identify with Christ. That's a cost, isn't it? It's a cost to follow Christ. If a person denies Jesus before men, he will deny them. That's what he says. Like I said, you know, you've got this hit and miss kind of thing, but if one consistently does that, they're not taking a stand for Christ. I wouldn't want to be denied at the judgment. But yet, you know, if we are in Christ, we do know that. We are to know those things. What about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Well, this statement has led to considerable debate over the course of the years. And what is that? Some people think they know they've done the unpardonable sin. Uh, Is it possibly attributing Jesus' work to the power of Satan? Chapter 11, that's what they said. Well, yeah, he did that. Supernatural, but that came from Satan. Matter of fact, that's Satan's work. He just did. That's what he did. Uh, Could it be that? I think very possible. It sure could be. I don't think it's just a single act, maybe a persist, you know, as a a a matter of rejection. But I think it's a lifestyle. It's a persistent rejection of Christ. I think that would be part of it too. When finally the obstinate rejection of Christ. And the Lord says, that's it. You know, We don't know when that time is when somebody has come to the point. They've heard about Christ all their lives and never trusted Christ, never repented. We don't know when the last time is. God does. He keeps sending the Word and then finally shuts it off. It's ultimate revelation and ultimate rejection. And so, maybe it's dealing with that. Maybe the apostles later on at the end of their preaching, they spoke about those kind of things too. In the last chapter, we saw the Pharisees accusing Jesus of casting out the demons by the power of Satan. They saw this power, and so they attacked the source. And that's a hypocritical attack. By the way, I think Jesus made a judgment upon them. That to me right there. And you can say, well, yeah, they can say things against Jesus, but they can't say things against the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is the, is the power of God's Word. And if they reject that truth, then they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And there is a point where you, know, you have final rejection. Like I say, we don't know when that is. But it's having sufficient evidence from the Spirit and they hardened their hearts. Just like Pharaoh hardened his heart. He kept hardening his heart. Look at Jesus and his patience. Ten times, right? 
the plagues. And yet, he finally hardened his heart till that was it. No capacity to repent. So, when you see the power of God's Spirit at work, reject that power. There's no higher realm of evidence or influence that can affect that person positively. When he's hardened beyond remedy, and God only knows, God is unbelief is nothing to fool around with, is it? Today is a day of salvation, as we see throughout Scripture. But if one is unbelief, and you might know many of them, we certainly do, don't we? They're in grave danger. Tomorrow might be their last chance. But it's still God who's in control of this. And He's the one who has already picked His people. But we don't know who the elect are. We don't pull back their shirt and see if they have the E on there or not. We just preach the Gospel and let God do the work. You know what that does? It takes all the pressure off of us. We just give the truth. And if that offends them, okay, it does. But if it's truth, they must know. Last two verses. It's going to be very quick. 11 and 12. When when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, did you notice that? When... You don't get the if here, and he's talking to these disciples and the apostles definitely related to this later on. They had to take notice. And of course, he said this other times later too. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about it. Do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you're to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He takes care of the sparrows. He'll take care of you. But He's just said, they're going to be martyred. He takes care of you all the way up to the point and even through death, doesn't He? I always used to wonder about that. Yeah, but people died though. (laughs) People don't die? Yeah, He used that particular opportunity to bring them on in with Him. It was what He had in mind anyway. So when they bring you before the synagogues, that's the religious people, that's the Pharisees, that's the Sadducees, that's the lawyers, the scribes, that's the that's religion. Did you know even in the church today, there would be people who would like to have something done with us with what we're all agreeing on here today. They, the, the liberal people, with what we're just saying, they said, well, they would even say, that's not, we don't even believe Jesus even said that. You know, he didn't mean that. Fear God. He didn't mean that. No, that's too harsh. Jesus is loving. So he says, don't worry. And you have the Holy Spirit's help. I don't need anything else. Don't worry about it. Never worry. The Holy Spirit will help you in what you say. Matter of fact, there have been times in our own lives we can identify with that where people really, what is it that you believe in? That's, Christianity is a bunch of foolishness. So you start telling them, well, 
let's let's examine that. Can you can you take a few minutes and let's look at that? You know, have you ever read the Bible? I know enough about that. Have you ever read completely through it? Well, we get confidence in what we believe, and the more you read the Word, the more you have here to draw upon when that time comes, because people are going to hate you if they don't already. If you are of Christ, you will be persecuted. We wrap this up. A couple sentences. The disciple may face a hostile world. It's becoming more and more hostile. It's been very gentle for all my life here. But loving God means standing up for Him and His truth. Behind that resolve, we face opposition. We understand that we must fear God and know that He sees the disciple and the accuser. He knows what they're doing or saying about us. What is done in secret will be revealed in public before God one day. What people have said against us and doing against us, He knows what they're doing. It'll be revealed one day. Then the disciple will stand though others fall. May we boldly confess our loving Savior who bore our sins on the cross. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father in heaven, thank you that you are our Father. We just read some very hard statements by Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this because we know that if we are yours, we will stand for you. Forgive us, Lord, and there are times and many times where we have been silent or we have not said what we should have. And maybe sometimes you want us to be quiet. But Lord, may we always be confessing Christ when we have that opportunity. It is easy to confess Christ right here and proclaim that. But Lord, help us to give this truth. Put us in position, in sometimes opposition, that we stand up for You. So that would honor You by Your grace. We're saved. By Your grace we live. By Your grace we die. And Lord, thank You for complete truth. And You give us harsh statements. And in the very next verse, You tell us how much You really do care for us. And You know what's going on all the time. And that gives us great comfort because You are a sovereign God. You have everything in control. That is everything. Thank You for that as we have been able to remind ourselves of that this morning. And as we go out of here, may we... Keep these thoughts of worshiping You throughout the rest of the day and the rest of the week. All glory to You in Your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, just before we go, we have special people here today. Uh, Back here we have Jerry. Right, Jerry. And we are thankful to be having the opportunity to worship with you today and go through the Word of God. Uh, I take it that you are a man who respects God's Word.
and uh, kind of all already kind of knew that. Um, then I have a dear, 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 dear cousin, and uh, what is it? Are you cousin in law? <laughs> and they go back all oh, a few years. A few. <laughs> they actually, actually, Jan's. Um, lived on the, or really close to where my mom and dad were, where I actually kind of grew up in my high school years. And then whenever I moved down here from Eldon, Mark lived here in Jeff, and I said, oh, good. Because, you know, I always respected Mark. He's, he's one of the first people that I saw that was really true in Christianity. And I was checking things out at the time. I grew up through church, too. He did, too. But he would listen to... Uh, preaching on Sunday night on the radio when I was there. I'd never heard of anything like it. It was really good. I go, wow, that's really something. Does people do that? Is that okay to do? <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that always stuck in my mind. And of course, uh, he has been involved in uh, many, many churches and uh, music minister and, and just a man of God, though, who respects the Word of God, too. Janice does, too. And that's why I say I'm just not saying this to you know, you know, to be flattering. I'm just saying that God used you to make an impact on, on while I were here, and while you were just a barely older than me, and uh, we hung out together a lot. You made an impact, regardless of what 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 you would uh, you would think. You actually made a big impact, and and your whole family, and your mom. Your mom was. Uh, as biblical as anybody would ever be. She read the Bible a lot. Is that right? Yes. Your whole family was that way. Brother and sister. But I just say, God uses those things. There's a legacy there. And uh, the, the Word of God is what it's about. So, anyway, thank you guys for coming here. They actually live more in Texas than they do here. <laughs> Down in South Texas. Sometimes when it starts getting 100 degrees, they come up here for a... You're here for a, like a few weeks and you're going to be going back down. So, at any rate. Uh, Jerry, are you from Jeff City here? No, I live east of Melbourne. Really? Very, very good. Mark, would it be okay if I ask you to lead us in prayer as we close here? Thank you. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the goodness of Arizona because you love us. We thank you for life and life in itself, what it means to us and what it might mean to others, only as you use us. And we thank you for this day you've given us, and we would pray and ask that if we go through the day, we would honor and give you thanks for our essence of being, and we might be a blessing to someone we touch today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. It's been a privilege to worship with you. Is he in the I'm like that. 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 I'm like